Well, good morning, church. It wasn't uh, too long ago that I was sitting in my chambers in Wheaton when my secretary came in, and not to disparage any particular faith tradition, she said to me, um, there is a member of the clergy who said that you would know him, and he wanted to talk to you. So I got on the phone, and this man of the cloth said, uh, Bob Thomas, do you remember me? Do you remember me? And I said, uh, well, you have to give me a little more. And he said, well, you were place kicker for the Bears, and we had a bazaar at our church, and you came and you autographed a football for us, and we auctioned it off. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? I said, no, not really. Well, I switched to another church. And again, you were kind enough to come, and this time to sit for a couple hours and sign autographs. Do you remember that? Well, at this point, to be totally honest, I really didn't remember, but it was close enough, so I said, yeah, I think it's coming back to me. And he said, I've got a little problem. I said, you have a problem? He said, I got a DUI. I said, oh, you got a DUI? He said, yeah, do you think you could help me? I said, do you have an attorney? And he said, yeah, I have an attorney. I said, well, I really can't help you. I mean, I, I said, you, you have to understand, right, that a Supreme Court judge can't call a judge that's handling your case and say, hey, I used to sign footballs for this guy. And, <laughs> Maybe you could give him a break. So I told him, you know, Father, I, I really can't. I just gave it away. I really can't. <laughs> I really can't do that. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. I should have known. How could I have ever done this? I did a terrible thing. This was really a mistake. And he kept going on and on. And I said, you know, I said, people really don't know what we do as judges and don't know what all the ethics are. Calm down, it's okay. And he says, no, I shouldn't have done this. You sure you can't help me? <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, I, I can't help you. There, there are things, aren't there, that we really can't help people, even if we'd like to, whether it's ethical or um, just, you just can't do it. There's some things you can't do. But there is a way, as Christians, we are not only capable of helping others, but in doing so are used in ways eternal. Uh, Penn Jillette is half of the famous magician duo Penn and Teller. Penn is an outspoken atheist. I obviously don't agree with everything Penn says or stands for. As far as I'm aware, he remains a critic of Christianity and antagonistic of the gospel. But in the clip we're now about to watch, he got something right. 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 and 3 say, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. 
The genesis of this message this morning goes back to a couple of months ago when I had the privilege of leading us in communion. Uh, my theme was John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Both Pastor Kelly and I were somewhat surprised by people who mentioned they had a problem with that scripture. Not in the sense that it was difficult to share that with others, but in the sense, can that really be? Is there only one way to heaven? Our itching ears would welcome a doctrine of inclusivity when Christ speaks in terms of dogmatic exclusivity. No one comes to the Father but through me. Pressure for religious pluralism gives way to religious tolerance. The claims of Christ are now seen as one of many options to heaven. And I'm not speaking of only philosophies outside of the church. Listen, listen to this teaching of my faith tradition before I came to Lord the Catholic Church that was solemnly declared in the Second Vatican Council. I quote, those who through no fault of their own do not know the gospel of Christ or his church, but who nevertheless seek God with a sincere heart and moved by grace try in their actions to do his will as they know it through the dictates of their conscience those too may achieve eternal salvation. End of quote. Did John have it wrong when he states in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, whoever has the Son has life, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life? Did Jesus give us the abridged version when he said, no one comes to the Father but through me? No. There, there would be no reason to preach the gospel if in one way or another, all ways lead to heaven. And yet Jesus says in Mark 16, 15, with another clear statement, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Don't you love to hear little children express their faith, maybe at baptism time, their love for the Lord and their acknowledgement of how Jesus saved them, how trusting, how simple, how profound? How do we discover or rediscover a childlike boldness for the gospel? I'm going to share a few examples where the Lord spoke to me. Not audibly, no thunder, no cloud parting, but to the recesses of my heart that help me understand why I and maybe you don't share the gospel. In 1995, my wife and I, Maggie, were in a Bible study, and the leader's wife called up about 9.30 at night. I still remember I was on the couch watching TV, and she said, you have to get to college church. Something is happening at Wheaton College. 
It's 9.30 at night. I have to confess, I did wonder why she didn't have to get to college church. <laughs> but, but I got in the car, tough to find a parking spot, walked into college church, completely full. I walked in and looked for a seat, amazed at the college students' hands raised in worship. And I finally found a seat in the third row, and next to me was a young college student, a young man, and he was on his knees bawling. The person got up on the stage who was leading the night, and he said, we don't know what's going on here. There are people coming to faith, relationships being healed in families. We're praying by day and coming here and worshiping by night. We don't know what's happening. And I said, aha. As I sat there in the pew, I know why I'm here. I know why God and that woman brought me to this place. Because I've been in places of revival before. I think I might have something to share at the end of this evening with someone as to what was happening. No sooner did that thought cross my mind than I found myself on my knees, bawling next to this student that I now know, his name is Adam, as I heard the voice of God whisper in my ear, Bob, it's not about you. It's about me. We don't proclaim the message of salvation because we overemphasize our role in it. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. John chapter 16, verse 8. I had another None of these stories are very flattering, by the way, as I recall them, but I was running for the appellate court, and we won the race. I won the race. And when you're running for election, you're out for about a year and a half, two years, about every night. And at the conclusion, and with the victory, I said to my wife and family, I will not be going to anything for the next six months. It's time to reunite with family, not only minutes here and minutes there, but for the entire evening. I was in my circuit judge office because I hadn't take over, taken over in the appellate court yet, and my secretary at the time walks in and said, there's a lady, and she's from the Naperville Volunteer Youth Group in Naperville, and they're having presentations and awards to the youth of Naperville based on their service, and they wanted you to be the keynote speaker. So I told my secretary, please tell the lady I'm just not taking engagements right now. She said, oh, you better talk to her. She's pretty persistent. And she was, and she got on the phone and said, you used to live here, and I had an obligation to the people who voted for me, and on and on and on, and I said yes. And as soon as I said yes, I was overcome with the fact that I was betraying a promise that I gave my wife and family. And it wasn't long before I had to give this talk, so I had to start preparing it. So I said, okay, all right, they got me to speak. And out of anger, I said, I will spend my 30 minutes talking to them 
about true servanthood and Jesus Christ. Secular event, probably 400 people there, kids and moms and dads. And that's exactly what I did. And, um, and as I did that, uh, by the way, I was never invited back, but, <laughs> but as I did that, you know, I spread the gospel, I guess partially, as I said, out of anger, but I did share the gospel. And at the end, there were Christians in the audience, parents who came up and said, I really appreciate your boldness. That was great that you could share with our kids about Jesus Christ. And then a kid came up to me, maybe 16, 17 years old, and he said, hey, I'd like to say something to you. I said, go ahead, son. And he said, uh, hey, where do you get off telling that stuff? Where do you get off telling us that stuff? I don't believe in that stuff. And I said, they didn't ask you to speak. <laughs> I got in my car, put my head on my steering wheel, and said, they didn't ask you to speak. <laughs> that was the best I could do, was they didn't ask you to speak. I would have had all kinds of opportunities, I thought, but the more I listened and the more I prayed, I realized it may have been the right response. We don't share the gospel because we compartmentalize our faith. Our stories of faith and the Lord moving in our lives is not reserved for these four walls. In fact, these four walls should be reserved for an explosion in celebration for what we have been doing the rest of the week. Our faith, our salvation history, which culminated in joy, should affect us in a way that we have no choice but to share with others. I was asked to speak at a Catholic youth group in, in Naperville. And uh, I don't know if this ever happened to Kelly or other people speaking. I pray it doesn't, Kelly, if it hasn't. But as I was preaching to this uh, youth group and a group of nuns, I felt the Lord again whisper to my heart and say, you don't love these people. Do you know what it's like to be in the middle of a talk feeling God is telling you that you don't love the people that you're talking to? I quickly prayed in my head as I continued my message and said, Lord, help me to learn how to love them. My talk was over. They opened it up to questions, questions that you hear every time when somebody presents the gospel, until this girl in the back of the room got up. I mean, I, she had hardware in her face in places I didn't know you could put hardware. Her hair was in three or four different colors. I saw one of the nuns as soon as she got up to talk, scurrying from one end of the room to the other to try to stop her. And once again, she said, you know, I've tried the God thing, it doesn't work. So not knowing at the time, I guess, that God was answering my prayer that I was saying when he was telling me he didn't love these people, I said, I want to talk to that girl. And they said, no, no. I said, I really want to talk to the girl. They got her as she was leaving, and for 15 or 20 minutes, we talked about her life. We talked about Jesus. We were the last ones in the church. I walked her out 
to her parents' car, told her parents that they had a lovely daughter. They looked at me as if I was a bit demented. And, um, you know, oh, that we could just earnestly pray to see others as Jesus sees them. With humble eyes, not with haughty eyes. We don't share the gospel because sometimes we have haughty eyes. All right, my least flattering story of all. I was running for the Supreme Court in 2000. A guy by the name of Ace Mokri was the executive director of a ministry called Executive Ministries. It's pretty much like it sounds. It was outreach efforts to executives and different businesses hoping that these influencers would have influence on the people that they had authority over. I believe it was at the Marriott Lincolnshire, and I was in the middle of a Supreme Court race in 2000. Ace said, Bob, we'd love for you to be our keynote speaker at our biggest breakfast of the year. In fact, there'll be about 250 men at this breakfast. So I said yes. And as I was driving up there, I did a little calculation. I said, 250 men, probably most of them married. This little talk is going to be good for 400 votes. I was overwhelmed with the conviction of the Holy Spirit that I was more concerned with votes than souls. I actually mentioned it to Ace and the rest of the leadership of executive ministries as we prayed before the event and before my talk. Ecclesiastes 1.14 says, I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun and see all is vanity and a chasing after wind. The most universal reason we don't share our faith is that in different ways, with different preoccupations, based on seemingly important agendas, we chase after wind. About two weeks later, Ace said, I didn't have time to call you after the banquet. I want to thank you again and let you know that there were 50, 5-0, first-time decisions for Christ at the banquet. Bob, it's not about you. It's about me. Church, the reality of the situation is found in Matthew 25, verse 41. Christ will say to those who are not covered by his blood, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire. Randy Alcorn in his book Heaven says the reality of hell should break our hearts and take us to our knees and to the, and to the doors of those without Christ. To you today who do not know Jesus, I do not want to miss this opportunity to leave you just with a quick story. 
It's the story of the good thief. Many of you have heard it before. If not, maybe read it today. Jesus hung in the middle of, of a thief on either side. One thief said, if you're really the Christ, get down off the cross and take us with you. The other thief said, did three things, really. He said, this man has done nothing wrong. He recognized the sinlessness of Jesus. He said, we deserve what we're getting. He realized his own sinfulness. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In the midst of that pain, in the midst of that anguish, without any opportunity to do anything else, he jumped to Jesus. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Will you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, you have made clear in your word that you have sent your Son as the means of living eternally with you. You have made equally clear that Jesus is the only way. You have rescued us, and we are forever grateful. We confess that our gratitude has not always resulted in proclaiming your gospel message so that others might enjoy the joy of your salvation. Help us to love because you first loved us. Replace our selfish hearts with your heart that breaks in thinking of the lost. Give us eyes to see the opportunities you present to us to present your gospel truth. We are humbled that you ask us to participate in your plan to rescue others. You are an awesome Lord who hears. You hear. And we make these requests in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.